When I was an intern in college, I worked for a museum, and I helped develop a program called Cultural Literacy. And uh, I didn't write it, but I marketed it, and I took it to all the schools. I wrote some of it. Um, took it to schools, and I presented um, cultural literacy. And the premise of it is, uh, how did certain historical figures, how did they become successful? How did they get breakthrough in, in what they did? How did they become historically significant? And the area of historical breakthroughs, is, it's important, not just for us as humans, but it's important for you as an individual because we have been wired in such a way that our, our bodies, our physiology, our psychology, our spirits require a breakthrough now and then. And we, in, our, in our current modern age, our modern age is amazing. We have cameras and rovers on Mars. Don't know if you know, but that's a breakthrough. There is numbers of breakthroughs in the everyday life that is just mind-boggling. We live in a very exciting time. So anyway, I, I had to present um, this material, and my boss who was a man of breakthrough. He was born poor, and he became very rich. Super rich. He has the largest manuscript collection in the world. Privately held. He has the Constitution of Mexico. He has the Confederate Constitution. He has all these amazing documents that be like, why does he have that? He's got a big section of our Bill of Rights. I'm not quite sure how he ended up with that, but he owns it. And so as he wrote this material on how do historical figures, how did they get breakthrough, he boiled it down to one character trait that's a little controversial. And I, I had to teach it. And I always got pushback when I teached it, taught it, excuse me. That character trait was obsession. So I would go into elementary schools and I would tell kids, hey everybody, you guys need to be obsessed. You need to, we're here to foster and encourage obsessive compulsive disorder in you because we want you to be successful. So I did get pushback from teachers whenever I said, okay, um, Einstein had an obsessive personality. Madame Curie had an obsessive personality. Thomas Jefferson had an obsessive personality. And I could, I could illustrate, I could show it. I, he, had, uh, he didn't have E equals mc squared, but he had the theory of relativity. He owned the, Einstein's theory of relativity. So I actually got to work with the actual document. And when Einstein is talking about and describing light, he is obsessing about it, writing about it in the, in the, on the columns of his notes. And he would say, light is variant, light is invariant, light is variant, light is invariant. You can almost see him going crazy on the page. Turns out that both are correct. <laughs> The light changes and light is constant at the same time. I don't, know, I don't know how that works. I'm not a scientist. But he was obsessing about this. And eventually, through his obsession, E equals MC squared. He gets, he gets the breakthrough. Madame Curie, if you don't know who Madame Curie is, there's actually a, 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 a documentary or a movie about her on Netflix right now. Don't watch it with your kids. But get the sensor the some of this stuff, but it's really good. If you've ever had an x-ray or an MRI, if you've ever had a doctor look inside your body, you have her to thank. And the reason why you're able to get an x-ray is because Madame Curie was obsessed about radiation. She discovered it. She discovered new, um, a new element. If it wasn't for her drive, 
well, we wouldn't be a healthy society. So maybe obsession is a bit of a hard word, right? But maybe a singular focus, a consistency, uh, a being committed to something, even if it doesn't pay off, because you're all in. It is almost, you know, if you look at the lives of, the, of famous historical people, it's almost as if they got lucky with their breakthrough, but there was no luck involved in their breakthrough at all. They never stopped. They were completely focused on what they were called to do. I don't know about you guys, but I am due for another breakthrough. I like them. I like, breakthroughs are great. And that is a breakthrough in, in your life it's not necessarily something that you can build your life upon, but we need to see that God uses a breakthrough to get us up into a higher level. And I'll, I'll, I'll preface it with this, just so you know, because if you want a breakthrough, I bet you you do, but I'm just going to give you a little heads up. Higher level, new devil. So you might not want the breakthrough you're praying for, because it might be a little more complicated than you might have thought. But when we talk about God breaking through, well, I'm not talking about scientific breakthroughs. I'm talking about a spiritual breakthrough. A spiritual breakthrough, in a sense, is a lot like a scientific breakthrough in that it solves a problem, but it also opens up a whole new world. Something new takes place. It is revolutionary. It is fresh. It adds benefit, richness, blessing, and it's exponential. Like there was no stopping the progress that took place with x-rays. Like it exploded. This is how God functions. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 5. I'll set it up for you. One of the most influential figures in Scripture is somebody that knew and understood what God's heart was like better than anybody else was King David. The Bible says that David had a heart after God's own heart. I wish I had a class for that. I wish I could give you a three-step process on how to have a heart after God's own heart. Unfortunately, I can't teach into this kind of stuff. It's either you have a heart for God or you don't. I can't, I can't disciple you into loving God. I can't disciple you into going after the things that God wants to go after. It's an individual decision and call, the best that I can give you is that it's usually revealed to you by revelation and prophecy. Meaning that when God's word is spoken and when, when his truth is declared, when righteousness is framed out, there's something in your spirit that resonates with the spoken word of God and you respond. That's as, I mean, that's a really abstract thing to say. But again, I can't tell you how to have a heart after God's own heart. That's completely up to you. David was a man just like you. I'm sorry, ladies, but you're a lot like David too. He was a human just like us. He had major flaws. But we see he has a lifestyle of mountains and valleys. He even writes about it in Psalms 23. Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So he had, he, David illustrates clearly that he has been in some very, very rough places. But he has this lifestyle of breakthrough, upon breakthrough. He killed a giant. He, uh, he escaped being hunted down by his, 
his boss and king and friend. He fought a bear. He fought a lion. So David, he, he learned this secret of finding breakthroughs in his life. And if you read Psalms, you will know that David was obsessed with God. Amen? I mean, can you see that? So if Madame Curie is well, she's obsessed with uh, radiation, if Einstein is obsessed with math, David is obsessed, compulsive about God. Like he is just locked in. Every, night and day, he is constantly thinking and meditating on it. And when he doesn't, of course, he sins. But he is constantly there. And because of this consistency, he steps into breakthrough upon breakthrough. So where we're at when we read this Second Samuel chapter 5, where we're at in the story is he's already fought the bear and the lion. He's already killed Goliath. He's already ran from Saul. He has overcome a lot. And he's had a lot of breakthroughs. And now he has been anointed king. And now he has taken Jerusalem. And you would think that everything will be just fine, right? You become king, you just think that you have arrived. Uh, If you know the story, David does not arrive when the crown is put on his head. Higher level, different devil. It gets even more complicated for this guy. And immediately when he is, sits on the throne, his authority is challenged by his, the arch nemesis of the Israelites at this time, the Philistines. So let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 2. So I'm sorry, chapter 5. should have marked it. I had it marked. Is it on the screen yet? Well, that's not the whole thing. I need to read it in context. Oh, I'm sorry, everybody. I have too many tabs in my Bible. All right, here we go. We'll start at verse 17, chapter 5, verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephraim. Okay, underline that one if you like. The, the Hebrew interpretation of this is the land of the giants. Interesting, right? And what is David? He's a giant killer. So David inquired of the Lord. This is important. David inquires of the Lord. Why? It's because he's obsessed with him. Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord answered, Go, for I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. And then David is obedient. So David went to Baal Perazim, and there he he defeated them. And he said, As waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. In Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 14, you don't need to turn there. Same story. David attacked them at Paul. Baal Perazim and defeated them, and he said, God has used me to break through 
the enemy's armies like a flood. I like this. So he called the place Baal Perizim. And then Isaiah references this story. Isaiah 28, 21 says, The Lord will fight as he did at Mount Perizim and in the valley of Gibeon in order to do what he intends to do. Amen? God's going to do what he intends to do. Strange as his actions may seem. It's a very important thing to consider. Is that sometimes from our perspective, God's actions seem a little strange. He will complete his work, his mysterious work. Okay, aren't these great scriptures? So, if the site was once called Rephraim, the city of giants, David changes the name to Baal Perazim, which literally translates into the God of breakthroughs. The God of breakthroughs. Why? It's because David, uh, he knows the secret of living in a lifestyle where you expect breakthroughs. Does David always get a breakthrough? He doesn't always get a breakthrough. Sometimes he gets hunted down and beat up and chased off. But he knows that he serves a God of breakthroughs. And now as a king, he is declaring that this, is, this, this land of giants, it is no more. It is now going to become the land of breakthrough. This God of breakthrough, this is a very strange uh, title, by the way. We're going to get a little bit of a word study into here. But Baal Perazim. So Baal means Lord, and Perazim is, is the breakthrough. And this, this breakthrough, as David highlights, it's one of... Of a, of a bursting dam or waters that overflow. Uh, from their perspective, this is a scary and overwhelming experience. The Israelites were not necessarily seafaring people. They did not have ships. They did not sail around like the Philistines. The Philistines were basically the ancient equivalent of Vikings. They were, they were marauders. They would come in and do what Vikings did. That's what the Philistines were. And so the, the, the Jews feared them because they came from the sea. And the Jews also feared the sea. They always thought in their imagination that the sea was going to overcome them and, and, and envelop them. And the, it was only the hand of God that was holding the waves back from keeping everybody from drowning. But a lot, a lot like it is here, probably even more so, I mean, in Israel... It's a dry, arid land, and there's these deep ravines, and there's these deep crevices. And occasionally, just like it is here, there's a flash flood. Now, it's not as bad as it was when I was a kid, but occasionally in Southern California, in our areas, there would be these flash floods, and there would be no rain. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of the, out of the, you know, the channels and the, the ravines in these areas, waters would just become rushing out of nowhere, and then you know, some drunk motorcycle guy would end up dead. And, right? <laughs> Those times, they don't happen anymore like they used to. But that, would, that was an occasional thing, whenever there would be a flash flood. And so this imagery of water bursting forth is very powerful for them like it would be for us, or maybe it should be for us. Can you contain a flash flood when it, when it happens? When a tsunami hits, um, can you get sandbags out and try and keep it from coming? It's going to happen, right? There's nothing that you can do to stop it. And this is David's perspective on the move of God. Amen? He knows that when God is on the move, that nothing can stop him. And so therefore, he begins to develop a confidence deep inside of himself, a confidence that will eventually be repeated that says, I can do all things. Do all things. As a man thinks in his heart, so he shall be. Interesting little side note on this 
this interesting word called Baal Perazim, the God of breakthroughs. Interesting point. If you've been with us for a while, you've seen me go after the ancient gods. If you're in this series, we have been teaching that Yahweh is the personal name for God, right? So Yahweh is the personal name for God. It's a personal identity of who he is. And it was developed in, in early times. And in your Bibles, whenever you read Specifically in the Old Testament, that the Lord will do this, the Lord will do that, and it's, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the personal name of God. That is Yahweh. They just, they just use Lord instead of Yahweh in our translations. David knew Yahweh. It is, it is clear that he knew Yahweh. I mean, just read the Psalms. Like He had this personal relationship with the personal God. And yet, he calls it Baal Perazim and not Yahweh Perazim. That's interesting. If you know, and if you hung out with me and if you didn't fall asleep during my sermons on Baal, Baal is not the God of the Israelites. He's the God of the Canaanites. So, um, I did a little bit of word study on Baal Perazim. Um, some scholars, some biblical scholars say, well, Baal is just a generic name for Lord. I can buy that. That makes sense. So Baal is just a, it's just a Hebrew generic name for Lord. So Lord of the breakthroughs. So just whatever, get over it. Other Bible scholars say, oh, there it is. There's proof that the Israelites and King David were worshiping Yahweh and they were worshiping the other gods of their times like Baal. So, uh, Monotheism was not present in, in Israel. So that's the other criticism. I even heard a commentator say that Baal Perazim was David's dig at the Philistines and the Canaanites at the time. He was literally making fun of them. As I'm taking away your land of giants and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it the, the land of the God of breakthroughs and I'm going to use your God's name just to mock you. So that was another interpretation. I think it's forcing the text. It's a little weak in my opinion. I have another personal interpretation of what I think is taking place and what, what David's heart is and how he sees God, and I'll share it with you at the end. But I have another interpretation, and I should write a book because no other biblical scholar came up with it. So put a pin on that. All right. In American Christianity... We developed a theology around an obsession. I'll I'll start off with a healthy obsession with the Word of God and believing everything that it says. And living it out and acting it out. And believing that all the gifts are for today. And as Romans, I think it's 4.10 says, to breathe life into situations, to raise the dead, and to, to call things into existence that did not exist. You might not like this, but um, we have to go there and we have to identify with it because... Um, our brothers and sisters in Christ had, have taken this idea that you can speak God's word and speak things into existence. And they developed a whole theology around it. You might have seen it on TV, uh, televangelist. I know I'm dressed like a televangelist today. It's not on purpose. I have a wedding later. But most of us have a really bad taste in our mouth from the word of faith, televangelist people that will say, you just name it and claim it, right? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? The name it and claim it prosperity gospel preachers. Okay, first of all, 
They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. You might not agree with them. I don't agree with some of them. But we just can't say that, we just can't throw them out because we don't agree with maybe their emphasis or their focus. So that's not what I'm getting at here. There has been abuse, high levels of abuse, in the prosperity gospel, name it and claim it, theology. And again, you've seen it whenever there's some, like my suit's a cheap, like $190 suit. There's other prosperity preachers that wear like $3,000 suits and they fly around in jets. That's not me, right? Not yet. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, so, but you know this, right? You know, you know that there has been abuses and there's been scams on TV. And it's very upsetting. It's very disturbing because it's, all, it's abusive. Um, it, it's, it's charlatans, right? You know, you send me your money and God's going to bless you and he's going to send you a check the next day. And they literally say things like this. And so I have issues with that, of course. Here's the biblical truth. One reason why TV prosperity preachers are so successful is because they've actually tapped into a spiritual truth. I don't know how it all works, but they have learned this secret. And again, I don't know why God sometimes blesses them, sometimes doesn't. They always get caught, they always get in trouble. But I believe that every single TV preacher that is maybe a, a scam artist, they, they all started from a good place at one point in their, in their life. And they, they saw God break through. This idea that you can have an issue in your life and that you can declare it to change or that you can declare a breakthrough, that is so vital to the Christian faith. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say is like, I, there, there's truth to what they did, but there's also abuse. So what I'm telling you, just, let's just not throw the baby out with the bathwater, because in order for you to get a breakthrough, you need to kind of do what they do. And this is what they, this is what they do. They tell you to have the mind of Christ, the mind of David, and they tell you to go into a situation and to be like David and to declare to the giant that you will fall. And this is what we need to do for our own spiritual breakthrough. So I'm just saying, let's just not throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to declaring breakthrough over our own lives. I want you to think about what you need, I guarantee you, you probably need breakthrough right now. Amen? You probably need a breakthrough. What is it? What is, what is the thing that you need God to open up these floodgates, this bursting forth of water that, that you can't contain and no one else can stop? What is, this, what is the breakthrough that you are praying for? Is it financial? Do you have a financial need? Do you need God to be the God of your finances to break through and to completely surprise you with how much he can bless you with? Do you need the God of breakthrough over a relationship? Are you just dying in this relationship? Are you struggling so much? And just, again, consider David. Like this dude has some major relationship problems. And yet God was faithful to him and gave him breakthrough upon breakthrough. Maybe it's a physical situation. Maybe there's just something not right with your body. Or maybe there's just even something that's just not right with your mind. Um, here's a public service announcement. I've been dealing with people for a long time during this whole pandemic season. I can safely say that every single one of you is dealing with anxiety and stress and frustration. It's going around, everybody. Maybe you need a breakthrough over that. So this is how you do it. This is how you do it biblically. First of all, you need to be obedient to the voice of God. 
And again, I think that that only comes with obsession with him, right? It only comes when you're just like, when you're in his word, when you're in prayer, when you're Sabbathing weekly. It, it only comes when you're obsessed. Obedience to the Lord is vital. We see the theme of breakthrough take place in the New Testament in Jesus' life. When he comes, when he resurrects from the dead, he's on the Sea of Galilee, and he's looking out, and he says, Hey, have you caught any fish? To the guys fishing. And they're like, No, we haven't caught anything. And he says, Cast your nets on the right side. Now what Jesus is doing here, he's making a political statement. If you want to be with Jesus, then you need to be on the right. <laughs> okay. I know, wow. Okay, anyway. Okay, no, what Jesus is doing here, he says, cast your nets on the other side. Now, it seems like a very simple gesture, but they heard the Word of God and they responded to the Word of God and they obeyed the Word of God, even though how silly and simple it might have seemed, and they cast the nets on the other side, and then what do you get? You get a breakthrough of fish so much that it's sinking the boat, and there was nothing they could do to stop it. They went from a momentary experience of having absolutely nothing, starving to death, depressed, anxious, frustrated, to the, the very next moment, an instant breakthrough that they could not control. And they're yanking these things up. So obedience is one thing. Second thing is there's got to be an order. I, okay, I, I don't know all the, the answers to breakthroughs. I'm just giving you some of my bright ideas, right? But the other thing, again, we see it modeled by Jesus. The other thing is, is a thankful heart. We, we, we're complaining so much these days. We've got so many things to, to whine about. and Jesus is saying, would you like some cheese with your wine? Like he, doesn't, he really doesn't care. I mean, he does care about your needs. He cares about where you're at. But he doesn't want to, he's not going to encompass the whinings of his people. Like he had the Jews in, in, in the desert to deal with that. He's like, he's over that. He doesn't want to do that anymore. He, he's building a people that believe by faith and declare that God is good and His righteousness. So, there has to be an attitude of our hearts, and you can train in this. I can't train you to have a heart for God, but we can train for a thankful heart. Let's just do it right now. Like, think into your mind, write it down on your notes. What are you thankful for? If you're having a hard time thinking of something, let me help you. Uh, you're sucking air right now, right? Okay, that, and you walked in here. Okay. There's some things to be thankful for. Let's just start there. You got to sing and you got to worship God freely in a house of worship. Let's, we can thank God for that. And again, it's modeled by Jesus. So, once again, they're in a stressful situation. There's, there's a lot of people, and it's getting late. Everybody's getting hungry. The disciples start grumbling. They're whining. They're stressing out because, you know, the administration is falling apart. Like, what are we going to do with all these people? We can't send them home. Everybody's going to starve to death. And Jesus like, just calm down. I, I am the God of breakthroughs here. Didn't you guys forget? Jesus is Baal Perazim, didn't you forget? The God of breakthroughs is standing right in front of you. What, are you guys, what are you guys whining about? What are you guys complaining about? Why are you stressing out about this stuff? And Jesus takes a loaf of bread and a couple of fish, and he raises it up to heaven. And what does he do? He gives thanks for the very little that he has. And from that thankful attitude, the miracle takes place where it explodes and feeds over probably realistically 10,000 people. It says 5,000, but if you want to add women and children, you just got to double it, triple it, whatever. I mean, it feeds everybody. And what? There's some left over. They don't know what to do with it all. It completely overwhelmed them. The other thing that we got to do 
where we're going to push into this uh, the word of faith movement thing is you've got to have faith. Like You might not like those TV preachers when they say that you have to have faith, but unfortunately what they're saying is true. You have to have faith. You have to believe in your heart that God is good and He's for you and not against you. You have to believe this stuff in order for you to receive a breakthrough. Faith is what motivates and moves God's hand, and faith is a spiritual gift. So, if you are dealing with doubt, if you're frustrated to the point where like, you just don't even know if you believe in God anymore, you don't even believe this stuff, this Bible thing, whatever. Like, if that is you, here's a very, again, I can't tell you how to have a heart for God, but I can tell you how to increase your faith. What do you do? You ask for it. You ask for a gift of faith. Again, it's a spiritual gift, and you have access to all the spiritual gifts. The spiritual gift of faith is a very interesting one, one I didn't understand for a very long time. But now as I begin to say, okay, uh, whatever your will is, God, I believe, and I believe that you can come through. I believe that you are a God of faith. And what we see in the Scriptures through the life of Abraham, the life of Moses, life of Jesus, is that breakthrough Favor of God is preceded by an act of faith. Favor and breakthrough is preceded by an act of faith. Now here we get into the practical application. This is what I want to encourage you to do this week. Now, what is the thing that you need breakthrough for in your life? Did you guys identify it yet? Did you identify where you need your breakthrough? Be obedient and faithful to, to God's voice. Walk in faith. Faith precedes favor. Have a thankful heart. And finally, during your prayer time with the Lord, we spend some time in the Scriptures. We spend some time reflecting on God. You ask for forgiveness where you need forgiveness. You ask God to speak to you in the moment of your prayer. You identify your need, your hurt, your stronghold, right? I want you to see it. It's a stronghold. And it's something that's probably driving you crazy in your mind. The Scriptures say that we hold every thought captive and we make them obedient to Christ. For the demolishing of what? Of strongholds. Of breaking a stronghold. So you need to identify it. You can't focus on it. You can't focus on the sin. You can't focus on, on what the enemy is doing but it's just a clear identification. And this is going to be the weird part. You need to verbalize it out loud. You need to speak it out, saying, the enemy of God has wrecked my finances. The enemy of God has plagued me with sickness. The enemy of God is wreaking havoc on my relationships. Whatever the specific thing is, you identify what the enemy of God is doing. And just like that, so Jesus, whenever Jesus identifies what the enemy of God is doing, he does it in one word. He doesn't go into conversations with the devil. He doesn't, he doesn't get weird about it. He just says, this is what he's doing. And then Jesus goes to work. And then this is what you do. You flip it as hard and as spiritually hard as you can possibly get. And you begin to declare verbally the good things that God is doing in your life. And you begin to declare verbally what will take place as if it has already taken place. So is it the job? Are you just, are you, I mean, I know a lot of people don't even want to work these days. Whatever. Don't do that. You need to repent of that. But if, you are, if you're looking for this job, again, this is like we're going to get uh, prosperity gospel here, and I just, you just need to be okay with it. You need to name it and claim it. That sounds weird. Sound weird for me to say. It sounds so weird for me to say, but it's just, it's just true. Because if you don't, it won't take place. 
It is an act of faith. If you are struggling in your marriage, you need to stop obsessing about how dysfunctional it is. You know it's dysfunctional and everybody else does too. And nobody else cares. You need to believe by faith and declare that I have a healthy marriage. And my marriage is going to get better and better each and every day. Is it a reality? Of course it's not reality. Your marriage is a train wreck. But it's not going to get any better until you start declaring that it is better. Yeah? One of the funnest things about what we do is how God heals physical bodies. When I was a boy, I had these, uh, these bone splints. Thanks, thanks to Madame Curie, I had x-rays to prove it. Little floating bones in my heels that drove me crazy. And every night, and we, you know, we went to the preachers, we went to the faith healers, my parents prayed a prayer of faith that heals the sick. But every night, I prayed that God would heal my feet. And I visualized it. And I spoke healing over my body. I told my body what to do. And I commanded that to leave because it was not part of God's plan. So, illness, cancer, sickness, COVID, you name it, it's not God's part of his, it's not part of God's plan. And so you actually have, inside the body of Christ, you have the power to declare that it does not belong there and to cast it out in the name of Jesus. And to declare and to speak over your physical body, healing and health. And it will, it will take place. If you are following the, some simple stuff, it will take place. Now, let me wrap up with this. Why in the world did David, who, again, gives credit to God over and over again for victories, David, I don't know if you caught it, but David said, God did this. God defeated the Philistines. I didn't. God did it. Yeah? Why in the world did he call it Baal? Parazim. Was it because it's a generic name for Lord? I don't think so. Was he making fun of the other gods? I don't think that's true either. Uh, were they worshiping foreign gods? Well, we know they did that, but this isn't the case either. This is what I think that David is saying. This is my own, again, this is why I asked for prayer on this one, because this is my interpretation of what I think that he's saying. Is that Yahweh, our God that we serve, is greater than a God of breakthroughs. Breakthroughs are awesome. Again, it's a major theme in all the Bibles. But Baal is like a, you know, he's like a Zeus. He is like, a, he's like Thor. He's like literally, a re, he's another interpretation of Thor. You know, a God of breakthrough, a God of thunder, a God that flashes, a God that, that lets you have it when you need it. Big boom kind of a God. And God does function like that, but that's not necessarily God's character because the God that David serves is the God of salvation, the God of righteousness. And this is who you need to serve. We have a God that does breakthrough for us, but we don't serve him because he gives us breakthroughs. We serve us because he's blessed us with eternal life, because he has saved us from a life of sin. It's a priority thing that I think David is doing. He says, this breakthrough is good, but this is a lesser God than the God that I serve. My God saves. I serve a good shepherd. And so what I want to tell you is that, yes, God wants to give you a breakthrough, but the, you can't worship the breakthrough. Does, does that make sense? Don't worship the breakthrough. Worship God. Worship the one that has saved you. 
David is illustrating here when he names it. So not only is this a flood that pours out that, that we can't contain or we can't control. The word is used a couple of other times to describe birth. When God gives you a breakthrough, he is literally birthing something new inside of you, inside of your situations. He's making a new baby. And, and you can't stop it. If you're pro-life, you can't stop a baby coming. It's coming. And there's nothing that you can do about it. With the exception of love that baby. Love the process. Love the, 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 what God is pouring out. But worship God and not your breakthrough. He's so good and he's so kind. He's so faithful. Elena, come on up. Why don't you grab your elements? We'll receive communion. So if you can see that a breakthrough is a lifestyle, breakthrough lifestyle, if you have the optics to see it from that perspective, the salvation is from the Lord, all of our provision is from the Lord, the forgiveness of sin is from the Lord, then that will grow you into a healthy Christian. The body of Christ was broken for you. It, is, it, is, it symbolizes your provision. You could even say that this body right now symbolizes your breakthrough that you are praying for and that you need. And that it, the breakthrough comes from God and not from your own abilities and your own skills and your own luck. It comes, your breakthrough will come with an obsession with this body. So I want to encourage you, as you receive the body of Christ, be obsessed with the person of Jesus and be obsessed with the body of Christ as a whole. And I promise you, you'll begin to step into breakthrough. Receive the body of Christ. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding, and it involved wine. You know the story. Jesus turns water into wine. Now, it was a great party, and they ran out of wine. I don't have like a moral theology for this, but it's in the Bible. They ran out of wine. And there was anxiety. They began to freak out. They began to stress out. Uh, Jesus' mom might have been the wedding coordinator. We don't know. But Jesus' mom declares to Jesus that he will perform a miracle. I mean, I'm going to get the videotape when I go to heaven on this one. Because Jesus says, woman, it's not my time to do this stuff yet. And Mary says, I don't care. You're going you're to do it. I don't know how you boss Jesus around, but, but Mary does. Mary says and declares, look, I've put up with you all these years. I've been chased around by bad people and been called all kinds of horrible things. I want my miracle. And I want it at this party. This is, I'm calling my card in right now. So Jesus declares to Jesus, or Mary declares to Jesus that, well, she wants her breakthrough now and you can do the same. And The interesting thing about the wedding at Cana is that the jars that Jesus filled were ceremonial jars. 
Isn't that funny? It is a foreshadowing of what we are doing right now. And, I, and like, what he's saying is that this is a happy drink. Like, sometimes we take communion and you're confessing your sins, which we're doing right now, by the way. And then sometimes when you confess your sins, you feel really bad about yourself and you cry and stuff. But this is a happy drink. Because this says, no, we have been invited to the wedding. We are the bride of Christ. And we're going to drink to life. We're going to drink to health. We're going to drink to the forgiveness of all of our sins because the one we serve paid the ultimate price. So drink this happy drink for the forgiveness of your sins and knowing that Jesus is for you and not against you. Receive the blood of Christ. coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has called you to live a life of faith, he is faithful. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. God bless you guys. Have a great week in the Lord.